Well, good morning. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. Say it with me. His wounds have paid my ransom. What a beautiful text. It is such a privilege to be gathered together this morning. If you would, please stand and open up to the, the letter of Second John. And let us read this very brief writing together. Before we read, let us keep in mind... We are freely opening right now the inspired Word of God. This God-breathed writing which is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What a privilege it is to open the Word of God together. In Second John, the elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Holy and righteous Father, Had you not loved us first, we still would not love you. Father, those of us who belong to you in Christ, we would still be dead in our trespasses and sins, fully, utterly without hope. Father, your grace has appeared, and in Christ, many of us have tasted and seen the goodness of Jesus the Lord. And so, Father, we pray that as we study your word this morning, we pray that you would help us to keep seeking, to keep seeing, keep tasting the goodness of our Lord. Help us fully understand the scriptures that we might live in light of them. And Lord, I confess this morning that I am simply unworthy to proclaim your word. So, Father, I pray that you would use me as your messenger Father, speak to your people, challenge, encourage. 
Father, may we learn to live more obedient lives to the glory of Christ. I pray that we would be humbled by your glorious truth this morning. And it's for Jesus' sake and in his name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. The year was 1895. The location, a prestigious university in Germany. The man, W.C. Rentgen. While in his campus lab, he really, by accident, discovered what we now know as the X-ray. At base level, this new technology would be used to expose an issue within the human body that otherwise might not be externally visible or identifiable. How did it work? Well, an x-ray beam would pass through a patient and be picked up by a detector on the other side. Portions of the beam would be absorbed, but others would pass all the way through and the shadows cast by different tissues created an image. This was a remarkable discovery. The technology allowed doctors to look inside the human body without cutting it open. Consider this. U.S. President James Garfield died in 1881, largely because his doctors could not locate an assassin's bullet in his body, while a century later, x-rays revealed the bullet in President Ronald Reagan's chest in minutes helping to save his life. Now, I assure you, I am not standing in this pulpit this morning in hopes of enlightening us on x-ray technology, but I do think that this serves well to illustrate what is going on in Second John. The author of the letter, John the Apostle, was used by God as sort of a first century spiritual x-ray machine by which things that weren't clear internally with a gathered body of believers was brought to the surface. And by God's grace, John was used to pinpoint a problem that wasn't easily identifiable on the surface within this group of gathered believers. And thus, by God's grace, he was able to bring a remedy to bear on the situation as not to cause further spiritual damage. But what exactly was the problem not easily identifiable? Who was the audience? And what does all of this have to do with us in a 21st century context? It's going to take us some time to sort through these questions and others, which is why this is the first sermon in a series of four on walking in the truth, and specifically in Second John. I'm just going to give you the titles of the four sermons that will take place in the future, Lord willing. I believe these are in your notes. Today's sermon, Truth is the Bounds of Christian Loving. The second sermon will address truth as the bounds of Christian living. The third sermon, truth as the bounds of Christian teaching. And the fourth sermon will be truth as the bounds of Christian welcoming, looking at hospitality. Today we will focus solely on the introductory verses, verses 1 through 3. Let's read those again. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. 
summarizing the first three verses by saying, truth is the bounds of Christian loving. Now, to help us better grasp this summary statement and get a better feel for the context of 2 John, I think we need to answer two preliminary questions. The first being, who exactly is the elder and in what context did he write? The second, who is the elect lady and her children? So for the first question, who exactly is the elder and in what context did he write? There's very little debate over the authorship of 2 John, which positions John as one of the apostles, one of Jesus' original 12 disciples. He wrote the Gospel of John, in which he is given the designation, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was very involved in the churches around Ephesus and was esteemed by many as a prominent spiritual leader. He is the author of five New Testament writings, the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. And it's likely that all these writings were written during the political reign of Domitian, who was viewed by some, many, as a very paranoid and cruel tyrant. And it was under his leadership that many Christians are documented as having been heavily persecuted toward the end of his reign, which is likely when John wrote most, if not all, of his writings. John would have been an aged man at this point. He would have been one with great pastoral insight and experience, which is exactly how the term elder is used in our text this morning. One of age, one of great insight, experience. And in 2 John, there are two direct imperatives and one command given by way of implication. Look at verse 5. There's a phrase in verse 5 that says, that we love one another. This is a command of inference. In verse 8, John's audience is commanded to watch yourselves. And we read in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. And the false teaching being spread in this context is that of docetism. Dr. Greg Allison writes, one of the earliest heresies the church faced was the denial of the full humanity of Jesus. Indeed, the Apostle John warned against this erroneous view, the refusal to acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Known as docetism from the Greek word for seem or appear, this view held that Jesus only seemed to be human. Docetism, according to Allison's research, became part and parcel of Gnosticism, a complex group of movements that focused on a secret knowledge that was reserved for elite members of its adherents. And Gnosticism drove a wedge between spiritual realities, which were considered inherently good, and physical realities, which were deemed inherently evil. So here we have the elder, the Apostle John, the one whom Jesus loves, he's in the midst of false teaching and outside persecution to which early Christian writers continually affirmed that Jesus Christ was both, was both fully God and fully man and that the incarnation did not diminish the deity of the Son of God nor make him a superman. So there's a brief picture of John in the context in which he writes. Now let's look at who the letter is addressed to. The first part of verse 1 reads, The elder to the elect lady and her children. 
Concerning the elect lady, one commentator states, this is an expression which baffles all the commentators. It is impossible to settle the question in a way that fulfills all expectations. I agree. I spent two weeks trying to figure out who the elect lady is. And I, I have landed somewhere, but I could be persuaded otherwise. And I want to give you some reasons why later. Most commentators align in one of two camps. The camp that sees the elect lady as an individual with literal biological children, or the camp that views the elect lady as a metaphor for a local expression of the global church. And let me just say this up front. It does not matter where you land. It does not affect the intent of the letter or the contemporary application. But if you're like me, that does not satisfy, and I want details. All right. So for those of us interested in those details, let me offer a few arguments for each case. And by the way, a lot of the debate centers around the fact that in the Greek, there is no article before the term eklekte curia, which is chosen lady. And other debate centers on the, con- the constant shift between first person pronouns and second person pronouns throughout the letter. So, for those in favor of viewing the elect lady as an individual, here we go. Argument one, the Greek word curia was used at this time as a proper name. Number two, due to the type of persecution experienced in this person's location, it was advisable not to use her individual name. Number three, the term refers to singular piety and rank in the world, so she was a person of influence. Number four, to speak of the elect lady as an expression of the church was historically unusual. Number five, John speaks of coming to see her face to face. Number six, first-person pronouns are used when she is referred to. There you go. You have the details. For those in favor of viewing the elect lady as a metaphor for the church, argument number one, the word church comes from a Greek word cognate to the Greek word for lady. And already at an early date, says some people, Curia was taken as a symbolic description of the Christian church. Number three, the issue at hand is addressed to a conglomerate of individuals. And number four, second-person pronouns are often used throughout the letter. Here's where I have landed. I think John wrote the letter to a specific individual with the intent to have her disseminate the information to those who gathered in her home for worship. I don't think we have to choose a specific site. I think the best thing to do is naturally read the text following the original usage of the pronouns. And again, all of this is secondary to the imperatival nature of this letter. So let's not get caught up in that. Land somewhere, enjoy that you've landed, and move on. To the glory of God. Amen? This brings us to our first sub-point. Truth is the bounds of pastoral love. Truth is the bounds of pastoral love. Notice how John addresses his audience in verse 1. Whom I love in truth. Love is the verb or the action here, and truth is used as a noun signifying the sphere in which love can be and must be expressed. 
And in the Greek, the term I is very, very emphatic. John is saying, I, it's me. I love you. I love you with the affections of of Christ. I love you as Christ loved me. I am with you. I am for you. I love you in Christ. And John has some very difficult things to say later on in this letter. So he wants to assure his audience of his love for them based on the authority of truth given him from the Lord. Let's take a time out for a minute. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes we're confronted with tough news by church leaders or other believers. You with me? Often that tough news will follow a sprinkling of encouragement or good news or praise. I used to find this very annoying. Why don't, if you have something to say to me, just give me the facts, let's deal with the problem, and let's move on. Don't sugarcoat anything, just give me the details. However, the more and more I study the character of John, I see the necessity, the beauty of this tender pastoral care that he exhibits in caring for the flock. So if you're like me and struggle with the tactic of good news first and then tough news, take a lesson from the handbook of John, get over it, and be thankful for very loving and tender pastoral care. Be thankful for it. Now, we know John shows affection for his audience, and he says he loves them in the sphere of truth. So what what exactly does that mean? And we'll get to that piece in just a minute. But let's go to our second sub-point, which is this. Truth is the bounds of the love between believers. Truth is what informs our love for one another as believers. The original text reads, Not only I, but all those having known the truth. Those who have come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and are advancing as disciples of Jesus have understanding of truth and the ability to live it out in individual and corporate ways. In verse 2 it states, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So this begs the question, what is truth? It also begs the question, what is the definition of love regarding how it is to be expressed in the realm of truth? These two terms, truth, love, these are terms very, very much exclusive to the writings of the Apostle John. These terms highlight his pastoral care for God's people and his understanding of the necessity to keep all of Christian loving in the sphere of truth. For a few moments, I want us to do something. I want us to take off our exegetical glasses, lay them down, and I want us to take up our devotional readers and put them on, because what we're going to do is take a journey through the writings of John to see exactly how he uses these two terms, love and truth. And as we do this in a a devotional sense, we're going to be somewhat systematic, somewhat chronological. We'll be looking at various speakers, various contexts. I'm not going to expound upon each context. I just want us to get a brief feel for how these terms are used in the writings of God. Many of you here this morning know who David Platt is. Raise your hand if you know who David Platt is. Okay, good. 
If you've ever attended a secret church gathering, you've picked up on the quick speed of his teaching. Have you ever been there? He's, he's better than any uh, rap artist I've ever known. Um, this morning, I do not plan to go plat speed. However, I do intend to pick up the pace as we move through this next section because we have many, many, many verses to get through because John uses these terms so often and so fully to show us what is going on with truth and love. So let's go to the, the Gospel of John. We're going to start in chapter 3. You can either follow along. If you can, I'm going to be going fast, or you can just listen. Here we go. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 3.19, This is the judgment that light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. The Father loves the Son, John 3.33, and has given all things into his hand. 8.42, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. 10.17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. 11.5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister in Lazarus. 12.43. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. 13.1. Now before the feast of the Passover, I told you I'm going fast, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 13.23. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at Jesus' side. 13.34. A new commandment I give to to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. 14, 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. 14, 24, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. 14.28 You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. 14.31 But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. 15.9 As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 15.12 This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 1517, these things I command you so that you will love one another. 1723, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. 1724, Father, Jesus speaking, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. 1726, I may know to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. 1926, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. 217, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. 2115, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, and son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. 21.16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 21.20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who also had leaned back against him during supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? 
First John 2, 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 3.10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. 3.11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 3.14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Are you listening? And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 3.23, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. 4.7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 4.8, anyone who does not love does not know God, because because God is love. 4.10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. 4.11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 4.12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 4.19, we love because he first loved us. 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 4.21, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 5.1, everyone who believes that Jesus Jesus Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. 5.2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. 5.3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. The elder, 2 John 1.1, 1, 1, to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. 3 John 1.1, 1, 1, the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. John is very purposeful in using these words. There's a lot to be said about biblical love. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. This love leads to sacrifice and community which must be evident among believers. This love says no to a world of unrighteousness and yes to a life lived worthy of the gospel. If we truly love, we know we have passed out of death and into life. This reminds me of what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. What about Hebrews 10.25? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day of our Lord's return. If you belong to Christ in this room, It is not an option to love our brothers and sisters in the faith. We must love one another as we have been loved by our gracious, merciful Lord.
It's not only commanded of us. What a privilege it is to spend life in the fellowship, in community, stirring one another up to love and good works for the glory of Christ. This is not burdensome. This is a glorious privilege. We are to live out the love of Christ that he has so greatly lavished upon us. All right, let's flip back to the Gospel of John. Let's go even further this time, back to John chapter 1. This list is shorter. You can say amen. These terms, again, are very exclusive to the writings of John. He's very purposeful in using them. John 1.14. Here we go. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, and you're going to help me out now. Say truth. John 1.17. For the law was given through Moses, grace and... Good job. Came through Jesus Christ. 3.21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. 4.23. The hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and what? For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 4.24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and... 5.33. You sent John and he has borne witness to the... 8.32. And you will know the... And the will set you free, praise God, 840. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did, 844. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the, because there is no, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies, 845. Because I tell the, You do not believe me, 846. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the, why do you not believe me, 146. Oh, what a glorious verse. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, 1417. Even the spirit of whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. 1526, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 1617, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. 1613, when the spirit of comes, he will guide you into all the For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. 1717, our Lord says, sanctify them in the, your word is 1719. For their sake I consecrate or set apart myself that they also may be sanctified in 1837. Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the... Everyone who is of the, listens to my voice. And then Pilate said to him in 1838, what is truth? First John 1 John 1.6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the 1.8. If, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the is not in us. 2.4, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the is not in him. 2.21, I write to you not because you do not know the, but because you know it and because no lie is of the. 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in 
3.19, by this we shall know that we are of the, and reassure our heart before him. 4.6, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of, and the spirit of error. 1 John 5.6, this is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the 2 John 1, 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in, and not only I, but also all who know the, 2 John 1, 2, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. We're almost done. 2 John 1, 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in, and love. 2 John 1, 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the, just as we were commanded by the Father. 3 John 1, 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in, 3 John 1, 3, for I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the 1, 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the 3 John 1, 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the... And 1, 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. Truth is rooted in the nature of God. Truth is made visible through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The indwelling spirit, the spirit of truth leads us into what? Truth. Truth is the body of Christian belief. Truth is found in the scriptures, which are God-breathed and profitable. Truth is the message of the Christian faith, the gospel. Jesus is the truth. What he says goes. Truth is the sphere in which we are to express the affections of Christ to one another in various ways, many ways to do this, all aiming to build each other up in our most holy faith that all of us may come before the Lord, mature like Christ. And so John, the elder, he exhibits great affection great affection for his audience, being rooted in what is most holy and pleasing to God and what is and in what is most beneficial for their growth in holiness. So my question is, is our love truly rooted in truth? Is our love daily expressed in accordance with truth? Has our love for one another grown cold? Has our love for truth grown cold? Have we forgotten how much we have been loved by our Lord? May it never be. And if we have grown cold... Repent, confess it to the Lord, turn away from this coldness and live in light of his love for you. This is a glorious privilege for disciples of our Lord. This moves us into our third sub-point. Truth is the bounds of God's love for believers. Truth is the bounds of God's love 
for believers. In verse 2, we're told that the truth that abides in all believers will abide in them forever. This reminds me of what is said in Matthew, the heavens and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And there are also three blessings that will be with believers according to verse 3. Grace, mercy, peace. Notice John isn't simply wishing these things to be, as is customary in other New Testament writings. This is a statement of assurance that grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. And these things come from the Father and from the Son. Grace is God doing for us what we do not deserve. Someone say hallelujah. Mercy is his not doing to us what we do deserve. Some would say hallelujah. And peace is God giving us what we need based upon his grace and mercy. We all must say hallelujah. If you are in Christ, God's grace will be with you. God's mercy will be with you. God's peace will be with you. No matter what happens in life, these will be with you according to the word of the Lord. And so for your last point, In truth, we have the assurance of God's blessings. In truth, we have the assurance of God's blessings. These blessings are promised to be with us in the sphere here. Two nouns used, truth, in truth, and in love. I'm again reminded of John's great pastoral care for his audience. He loves so truthfully. And affectionately, even in light of having to deliver some very, very difficult news. So may we all reflect this type of affection in our dealings with one another. May we all stand firm in knowing how much we are cared for by our gracious Lord. And may that translate into great care for our brothers and sisters around us. Now very quickly... Notice in verse 3. These blessings are said to come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. Why not just say, from the Father and the Son? Why double up on the word from? We'll address this more in another sermon, but be reminded that John's audience is dealing with the heresy of docetism, the denial that Jesus had come in the flesh. So there is a need in John's mind to establish Jesus' authority in the minds and hearts of those he writes to. Okay, let's begin to land this plane. This morning, we've been talking about truth Truth as the bounds of pastoral love. We've talked about truth being the bounds of the love between believers. And we've talked about truth being the bounds of God's love for believers. I want us for a minute to go back to something that was briefly mentioned. I'm recalling the words of Pilate in John 18. He asked Jesus, What is truth. What is truth? We live in a culture in which truth is deemed relative. 
Everyone has their own truth, they say. Everyone else is expected to tolerate each other's truth. Well, let me tell you, if truth is not truth according to the word of God, then it's a lie. Truth is, thus saith the Lord, period. Who are we to question the one who knows all things? There may be some in this room, having listened to a message like this, this very message, you're in a similar position, doubting truth, doubting love as expressed in Scripture, doubting the reality of God's character, doubting the necessity of the gospel, the necessity of repentance and faith. If this is you, know this. Jesus said, I am the way and what? The truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. Every individual has fallen short of the glory of God. Every individual is guilty and deserving of an eternity separated from God Almighty. Every individual needs the redemption, the forgiveness of sin that is only found in the blood of Jesus. He died on a cross that we might be spiritually alive. There is absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. You must turn away from your sin and trust in the work of Jesus to forgive you. If you have any questions about this great salvation that is offered in Jesus, just stick around after the service. I would love to speak with you. Speak to someone in this room who can simply point out the beauty, the glory of the gospel found in the word of God. If you are a believer here this morning, my challenge is for you to revel in the reality that truth is ours. Grace is ours. Mercy is ours. Peace is ours. All made possible through the reconciling work of Jesus the Lord. And not only revel, but think critically. Take it upon yourself as a holy responsibility. Consider how you can love the body of providence better in light of biblical love rooted in biblical truth. There are many ways to express our love in truth to one another. So let us be a people of the word, finding those various ways and living out those ways, expressing the love of Christ, uh, strengthening one another in the faith until the Lord comes. And may he come quickly. And all God's people say, amen. Let us pray. Holy and righteous Father, we humble ourselves before you right now. And we acknowledge that we have often failed to love in a way that reflects how we have been loved.
by Jesus. Father, the truth is that you sent your Son to die in the place of sinners, to bear the wrath of God, to pay the penalty for the sinner's sin debt. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness we know. Those of us who have repented and put our trust solely in Jesus. Father, we thank you that we stand complete in him. And we thank you that we have this sphere of truth in which we can express affections of Christ to one another. Aiming to build each other up that we all may become mature in the likeness of Christ. But Father, if there is someone in this room this morning who has never tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord, oh Father, grant them repentance and faith. Help them understand, help them feel the weight of their sin. Oh Father, in your kindness, grant them repentance and faith. Help us all live lives worthy of the gospel. And that can only be done in Christ. So Father, we love you. And we ask you to keep working on our hearts even now. In Jesus' name, amen.